Well, good Sunday morning to you again. It's great to uh, have you here today to worship. I want to make a special invitation to every single one of you to come tonight to our Thanksgiving dinner from 5 to 7 p.m. There's lots of food. Even if you didn't sign up, we want you to come tonight and enjoy that. But for those of you who've been there before, it's in a new location. So where is it at? Very good. That's impressive. Rockwood Valley Middle School. Now, I know that somebody's going to go to the wrong place, and that's okay. It won't be much food there, but we would like for you to come where we're going to be enjoying that together. Um, in fact, here's a picture we had. This is not all of the guys. Is there a picture in there? There we go. So we had some guys who were carving up the turkeys yesterday in preparation for tonight. I don't think they ate too much of it. I think there still will be some left for the rest of us, so we want you to come tonight and enjoy that. So I think I depressed my son, Kevin, this week. Kevin and his wife are living with us, though they're in Kansas City this weekend celebrating there. But I think I depressed him because I told him that his mom and I were talking to somebody about long-term care insurance. In other words, going to the old folks' home, right, and being able to be taken care of. I think he told me later, he goes, that was the most depressing conversation we'd had. But it's what happens, right? I'm getting close to retirement age. That's what you think about. I'm 58. My wife's a little bit older than that. You don't reveal the ages of women, right? And so for me, the question really has been, you know, will I have enough to retire comfortably? Will I have enough to retire comfortably? I won't give you the answer to that, but... So my question for you is, what's your comfort setting? In other words, it doesn't have to be retirement. It can be a multitude of other things. You know, it can be the amount of money you make in your job. It can be what Thanksgiving's supposed to be like. But what's your comfort setting? In other words, it's, what is the place in which you say, yeah, if this occurs or if that happens, then I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel comfort. What is your comfort setting? For me, comfort is one of these things I pursue with a lot of my energy. I like to be comfortable. So the question is, why is comfort such a strong pull for most of us? Why do most of us really enjoy and like? I know not everyone, but why do many of us, why are we pulled so much towards comfort? And I wonder if, especially if that becomes kind of predominant in my life over other things, maybe it's an indication of something a little bit deeper. So today we are concluding our series which is entitled Chasing Carrots, The Endless Pursuit of More. Where your head at? Dang. Don't want to talk business, business. I guess I got to be the one to see the summer. Who really in this, in this? We so fed up. My life, 10 up. Your time, been up. Big prayers, sent up. Uh, couldn't do without him, out of uh, Glad that I found him, found him. Uh, crowd really wild wild uh, I'm kicking it, shallot, shallot. So what's the carrot that you tend to be chasing after? What is that? You know, it's this kind of mindset that we have that if I have just a little bit more of this or just a little bit more of that, then I'm going to be happy, then life is going to be good, then I'm going to find contentment or fulfillment or whatever word you want to use. And so we're talking about that carrot that all of us have kind of dangling out in front of us that we tend to just endlessly pursue and go after. So the first week we talked about chasing approval. 
that many of us chase after the approvals, particularly of significant people in our life, right? We want them to love us and to like us. And then we talked about chasing perfection, that there's this standard out there that I got to attain if life is going to be good. And most of the people around me better make sure they measure up to that standard as well. Then last week we talked about, Lucas did at least, pursuing stuff, right? Pursuing other kinds of things in our life. And so today, we're going to talk about chasing comfort. Chasing comfort. Now, what could possibly be wrong with going after being comfortable in our life? After all, most of us have worked really hard to be able to have this kind of level of comfort in our life. What could possibly be wrong with that? And so Lucas gave us a little bit of a hint last week when he talked about the parable of the farmer who had, you know, a great year. He was extremely successful. Um, The problem wasn't that he was successful, but that he wasn't rich towards God. And so today we're going to look at a passage that is a huge warning. It's not really that much fun of a passage. Just tell you up front right now, all right? It's going to make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. It's a challenging passage. It's a warning for all of us, and it comes from John, one of the apostles. So John wrote the Gospel of John, but then he wrote these three little bitty letters near the end of the New Testament. So I want to encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, the page number of the Bible in front of you is in the notes there, or turn your phone or your tablet on there. It's really this warning kind of causes us to confront this question of where is it that we're getting our security? You know, where is it or with what are we trying to find meaning and significance and satisfaction in our lives? So here's the warning today. The warning is this. To choose comfort is to build a life where God is not necessary. To choose comfort, to put that as a predominant goal in our life, is to build a life where God isn't necessary. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 15 through verse 17. So here's what John says. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So this is a very challenging passage, as I said. In fact, John begins there with verse 15. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love from the Father is not in them. It's pretty, pretty pointed, pretty stark. Um, guys, I'm getting a little bit of a noise as I'm talking, so maybe you can turn it down or something a little bit. Thank you. So John's not the only one who makes this kind of, uh, I don't know, warning or something. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, makes this warning when he says in James chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Now, that's always a nice way to start a, a passage off, right? It's the way you start your emails. You adulterous people. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So I think what's going on, guys, is I think I'm echoing off some other piece of equipment or something up here. So anyway, have fun with that. Um, So it's it's one of those kind of things. If you choose to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. But James isn't the only one. Jesus said it. 
Here's what Jesus said. This is the night before he was crucified. He says, he's speaking to his followers, and he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So it's real challenging. So the question that you and I have before us today is this, am I going to love the world or am I going to hate the world? That seems kind of hard to, to, to couch it in those kinds of terms. Now, some of you may say to yourself, wait a minute, Doug, doesn't God love the world like John 3.16, love, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Um, aren't I supposed to love the world like God loves the world? So let's figure out what John is talking about when he says, do not love the world. So he says again, verse 15, don't love the world or anything in the world. So to John, that word cosmos, that's the Greek word there, which sounds kind of familiar, right? Uh, that word cosmos speaks about either the physical world, like the earth, the planets, and all of that around us, or kind of a more of a concept of a spiritual term. And when John uses it, whether it's in his gospel or in these letters, what he's speaking about is more the spiritual kind of influence of the world. In other words, he's speaking about the philosophy and the worldview and the culture that excludes God from the equation. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking about the stars. He's talking about a mindset, about a viewpoint, about a philosophy that excludes God from the equation. In other words, to love the world is to live by the philosophy that God isn't necessary. I mean, God may be out there, but he, he doesn't, hasn't done anything for me, and I don't really try to do anything for God. So the warning is this, is do not love the world. So if that's the warning, what does that look like? What does it look like if I choose to love the world? Because I don't want to do that, right? And so John goes on in verse 16, and he gives us some of the characteristics of what it is to love the world. So he says, verse 16, for everything in the world, right? So all of this stuff in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. All right, so when we look at that particular passage, he gives us three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So lust is just a word that describes desire, oftentimes strong desire. It's a neutral word. But in this case, what he's saying is, first of all, one of the characteristics of the world is the lust of the flesh or the desire of the body. The flesh is the body, meaning if I choose to do whatever it is that I think feels good to me, if there's something I want to do and it makes me happy, it makes me feel good, it makes me feel pleasure, it makes me feel enjoyment, then that's going to be the defining characteristic of whether I do something or not because it's all just about me. The lust of the flesh, meaning the desire that I have because I'm a person living in this world. The lust of the eyes is the desire for what I see. I see something that I think, I really want that. That's going to make me feel better. I'm going to really enjoy that. I see something with my eyes, and so I go after it with everything I have. And then the pride of life is a philosophy or viewpoint that basically says, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm the one who's in charge of my life. It is an arrogance. It's a, it's a pride that says, I can do anything. Look at what I've accomplished. And it's just this viewpoint that says, I'm the one that gets to make the ultimate decisions about what I do or who I happen to be. And so what John is saying is anything that fits in those qualifications is not from the Father. 
I like how Eugene Peterson puts this in the message paraphrase. He says, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world. Isn't that interesting how it says it? Practically everything that goes on in the world. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. So he says, selfishness, wanting your own way. The biblical word covetousness, wanting everything for yourself. And the arrogance of, I'm the one that's in charge, wanting to appear important. What does he say? It squeezes out love for the Father. To live as if I love the world is to live a life that simply doesn't need God. My problem is, as I'm reading this, those kind of philosophies creep into my life all the time. I mean, it's like, I have stuff in my life that, that I really enjoy. It's Christmas time. What's the question at Christmas time? What do you want for Christmas, right? It's like, what do I want? I mean, it's like, it creeps into my life all of the time, and I struggle with that. And so I, more than I wish to admit, I struggle with this. And for most of us, in our minds, we think things like, well, you know what? I mean, when it comes to retirement or when it comes to savings or when it comes to the kind of job that I have, you know, I just basically want to reach a certain place and point in my life where I can just enjoy life and do whatever it is that I want to do, right? I just, I just want to reach a place that I've got enough stashed away that if I want to go do something, I can just go and enjoy doing that. And so what am I really saying when I make that statement? I'm saying I want to build a life where God isn't necessary. Wait a minute, Doug, you, that's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I want to be able to have enough in my life and reach a place in my life where I don't have those financial worries and I don't have those kind of fears and concerns that come. I just want to be able to not have to worry about anything in my life. In other words, what you're saying is I want to live life as if God were not necessary. There you go again, Doug. You're putting words in my mouth. I am not saying that at all, and yet that's what John is saying. That when our goal in life is me, and when our goal in life is making me feel comfortable and making me feel satisfied, what I'm really doing, I'm squeezing God out of the equation. He's warning us of chasing a counterfeit comfort. He's warning us that we're believing the lie that comes from the viewpoint of philosophy of this world this lie that says that if I have enough of the comforts and the things of this world, then ultimately I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find peace and contentment. In other words, the comfort and the joys and the things of this world is the ultimate prize that they promise happiness, but in the end, it's just emptiness. Trying to fulfill an eternal longing with, an, with a temporary comfort leads to a very empty life. But we buy into that. So this is a very severe warning from John. And here's, here's kind of what he's saying. So I'm going to sit down here because I don't want to get to preaching about this right now. Okay, so I'm going to calm down a little bit. <clears throat> so this is, what, this is kind of what John's saying. He's saying, you and I live in enemy territory. We, we live in enemy territory. The one who rules this earth is, is Satan. He's the enemy. He's called the prince of this world, which means that he exerts an enormous amount of influence, but that's difficult 
for us, at least the, who live in West County, to really believe that because we look at the people who live around us, and even though maybe they're not church-going people, they're still good people, right? They do good things, or at least from the outside, we see those things. And I think it's kind of hard for us to believe that we live in enemy territory because, you know, Satan is really good at deceiving us. In other words, he's not going to come along. He knows he's not going to lure us in with some kind of obvious gross immorality. So he's very subtle in deceiving us. And what John's trying to get us to understand is when one lives in enemy territory, one has to be on guard. One has to be very vigilant about what's happening in their life. So let me give you an example. For for many Americans, I know it's not all of it, for many Americans, one of the comforts that we tend to like and enjoy is that after we've had a really hard day, right, we like to be able to come home and just relax and veg out in front of the TV, right? I mean, again, not everyone, but most of us, that's kind of one of these pictures of what it is to just really enjoy life. We just kind of veg out in front of the TV, and so we watch some of our favorite TV shows. So, What's some of the favorite TV shows that you might like to watch when you sit down in the evening? Anybody want to venture a couple? Anybody? What? True Bloods, right? What's another one? Andy Griffin. Okay. Yeah, there you go. NCIS. Anybody like This Is Us? Enjoy that particular show. Any others? Come on, it's all right. I'm not going to. What? The Hallmark Station. It is Christmas time. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of shows that, you know, I mean, we tend to, you know, what's the term now? We tend to binge watch certain kinds of shows they come on and we watch them. I mean, we all do that. And we we all know, let's be honest, we all know that there's stuff on those shows that probably we really shouldn't be watching, right? We kind of know that. We have that understanding. But we often say to ourselves, what? It's just harmless entertainment, I just want some mindless distractions so I can forget about the stuff that I've dealt with that day. And I get it. I do the same thing. We watched TV last night. We did that same thing, right? But the entertainment industry is not about mindless entertainment. It is about scheming indoctrination. The stated goal of the entertainment industry is to change culture. And they're the ones who define what culture should look like. You just watch any of the award ceremonies from the entertainment industry, any, any part of the entertainment industry, and what you see is the celebration of those things which 50 years ago would never have been acceptable in our culture. And you take any kind of significant moral shift that has occurred in the United States over the past 50 years, that shift in moral culture has been significantly influenced by the entertainment industry, whether it's the value of the family or the sanctity of marriage, whether it's the value of life, whether it's human sexuality. I mean, they're out to intentionally indoctrinate us. An example with that, and this is a very disappointing example to me. I love the show This Is Us. It's one of those fun TV shows. I mean, you just get into those characters because they portray them so well. I mean, it's just a a great show. But last season, there was a scene in which one of the daughters of one of the key characters of the show was having a conversation with her aunt. And in that conversation, they were talking about boys. And so the daughter is probably 11 or 12. I mean, she says to her aunt, she says, well, you know, I'm not so certain I like boys. I'm kind of thinking I might like girls. And we're pointed to an extremely popular TV show 
to the thought process that maybe same-sex attraction is okay, that it's acceptable, that that's just the way everybody is. It just hasn't been revealed until the entertainment industry let us know about that. And that's just literally one example of hundreds of ways that the entertainment industry brings their influence to bear upon us. Now, we know that Scripture is very clear that any kind of same-sex relationship outside of the bounds of marriage is a sin. And even more than that, Scripture teaches us that because it knows, God knows the heartache that comes when we choose any other life other than the one that God has in mind for us. And the end of that is such despair in people's lives. But that's never the message portrayed in the entertainment industry. And we shouldn't think that it should be that message because it is under the influence of the enemy. Now, I'm not saying don't watch TV, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying go out and throw your TVs or your computers or your smartphones out the door. I'm just merely saying we need to realize we live in enemy territory who in every way he possibly can seeks to influence us away from God and into a subtle loving of this world. And I also want to make this very clear. John is not saying hate the people that live this way, that are in this world. He is not saying that at all. He's merely warning us as followers of Jesus, don't get deceived. You live in enemy territory and the enemy that is in charge is deceptive and is devious and is desperate because if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in them so don't let the world squeeze the love of god out of us so how do we do that what what might that look like how can i enjoy the life that god has blessed us with because he has blessed us with how can i enjoy that life and not grow so comfortable that i squeeze god out of the equation well, number one, we need to keep giving it away. Keep giving it away. This was what Lucas taught us last week, you know, um, start sharing and stop storing. I mean, if you're like me and the whole concept of I can accumulate enough stuff to, to eliminate all the worries of this world, I mean, that's just fooling ourselves, but maybe you're like that. And so the antidote to that really is to, is to give, give it away. Be a blessing to other people. That's why God has given those things to us. In fact, I would encourage you to do some calculations. I did it on Friday because I thought, is this really true for me? Take the amount of money that you give to God and to others. You just give away, right? That you take what you have and you give away. Add that up and compare it to the amount of money that you choose to store for yourself, whether it's in retirement or an emergency fund. But compare those two numbers and ask yourself the question, Am I putting my trust in me and my abilities, or am I putting my trust in God as I choose to give it away? Am I living as if God is not necessary? Give it away. Keep giving it away. Number two, ask the crucial question, why do I want this? Why do I need this? Whether it's from what I watch on TV to how I save my money to how I spend my weekends, why is this so important to me? I think it's a little bit of an annoying question, but it's an important one. It causes us to ask ourselves some deeper things. Is there something deeper going on in my life that I have to be able to have this in order to relax and be comfortable? The third thing is this. Pursue obedience to God with all your heart. 
That's really such a key thing, that we say, God, this is what you want. I'm learning about you and your word, and I'm going to pursue that with everything I can, no matter what it is that I'm bombarded with in the world around me. And this is really John's answer to the warning, because he says this in verse 17. He says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I mean, it's the temporary versus the permanent. If I choose the world and the philosophy of this world, I mean, that's limited. It's temporary. But what God promises endures forever. Pursue obedience to God. Don't fall for the counterfeit comfort that the enemy sells us. And number four, ask this, where is this moving me? Whatever this happens to be for you, whatever place, comfort, security, you know, approval, whatever it is. Where is this moving me? Is it moving me towards God? Is it moving me away from God? I mean, John challenges us. He provides a very stark challenge to understanding this about God. So here's the key. To choose comfort is to build a life where God is not necessary. I, I don't want that for us. Because I know that that is just filled with heartache and despair. So what will countering this endless pursuit of comfort look like for you? What might that look like for you? Let me give you a couple of suggestions. Um, I think at the, what it has to begin with is a heart-to-heart between us and Jesus, right? You just need to have some time to say, you know, Jesus, what is it that I'm pursuing and is it moving me away from you? Maybe it will be doing without something for a period of time. I mean, really, honestly, for some of us, that may be the best call possible, that there's something that we know, we let that be the thing that brings us comfort, and it is temporary at best, and so maybe, for a period of time at least, I need to just do without that. Um, Maybe, for you, it's increasing your level of giving because you find comfort in your bank account. I mean, just honestly, if that's the thing, start giving more of it away. Stop storing, right, and start sharing more. That's just such a great challenge. Lucas, you you can't share with a greater ministry than sharing with Lucas. I mean, and love the Lou and what they do. It's just, for some of us, it's increasing our level of giving. Maybe for you, it's paying attention to the subtle pull of, I don't know, what might that be for you? You know, for me, it's the subtle pull of retirement, or not so subtle every time I look in the mirror, but what might that be for you? Or maybe it's asking yourself the question, is this moving me closer to God or is this moving me away from him? The antidote to letting comfort rule us is to pursue God with all our heart. But to choose comfort is to build a life where God is not necessary. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your great love and the way you care for us. Lord, I'm sorry for the times where I allow my desire for comfort to to overcome my love for you. Lord, I don't want to be someone who loves the world. I I want to love you with all my heart. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship together and reflect together, um, pull us closer to you, Lord. Draw us to you. In your most precious name we pray, amen.